All right. Well, this is very emotional. I would, I would give this, this testimony, but I can't. Not, not really. Because every time I think about it, I, I just cry. It's very emotional what we went through. And Vanessa, she's going to go through the, the whole details, but she spent over 120 days in the hospital with this one and never came home. And we would visit her every weekend, our other four daughters and I and Ella's grandparents. And we just want to publicly thank you for the support that this church has given us. Um, number one, in prayer. You don't realize the power of prayer until you're in it, and you can see it, and you can feel it. The very first time I walked in front of her, her cubicle thing that she was in, I could feel the power of God strong. And that was only because of the prayer that was happening for her. When Vanessa was first in the hospital, I walked the floors and I looked at all the, all the stories of all the children that have been in there. They're all plastered on the bulletin boards. Probably 99% of those children had a rap sheet of all the surgeries that they had multiple 10 or 12 to 15 different procedures that they had while they were there. Ella's rap sheet was nothing. She had a few issues that are very normal to, to preemies. She had a valve that continued to grow and we believe it's pretty close to being shut now in her heart. She had a minor brain bleed, which is very normal, but no surgeries. And everyone in that hospital said, there's something about your daughter. This isn't normal. And there were <clears throat> That's right. And it's because of the prayer and it was the support. And some of you work side jobs to make money, to buy extra things. And, and you gave. And you gave and you gave and you gave. Every week I was like, we're out of money. I don't get paid in the summertime, so we budget and we make it through, and then I start work again in the fall at the college, and this happened right in August when we weren't getting a paycheck yet, and I kept saying, where's the money going to come from? And Vanessa said, trust. You have to trust in him and have faith that it's going to come, and every time I complained, I got handed something. Every time I complained, I got handed something. Every time I wondered, I got something for you. I got something for you. Every trip was about $300, so $300, $300, $300, $1,000, $600, $300. I'm like, wow, okay, I guess I need to stop wondering. Because God provides, amen? And he provided through every one of you. And it's really the prayer part that's so awesome because she is proof of the power of prayer. Proof. Amen. Proof. <clears throat> Father, I give you this day, Lord. I ask, Lord, that you would be on Vanessa today as she speaks of your goodness, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, Lord, that you're going to have your way in this place, Father. I ask, Lord, that all glory, Lord, will be given to you today. 
We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you for each person in this room. Allow, Father, this testimony to be a testimony of you. Allow us, Father, to realize your truth, your healing power, Father, in our lives. And we just give you all glory and all honor, Father. I have my phone, so give me a watch when I get carried away. <laughs> um, just because everybody always wonders, she still has a feeding tube in. Um, that's uh, something that you can be praying for. Um, she's still sorry, struggling to take her bottles. Um, it's something that's normal. It's a brain connection that they have to make. Um, it's my biggest day-to-day -day struggle right now is to get her to eat. Um, and you can't force them to eat because then they learn that it's a bad thing and they don't want anything in their mouth. And it became, we saw babies that were three years old on feeding tubes that didn't know how to eat. So you don't want it to continue on. So I'm trusting. <laughs> it's still, still something that we're walking through. Um, Anyway, sorry, I'm going to cry a lot just to forewarn you. <laughs> um, thank you. <laughs> but um, I, I think the biggest thing that I have taken away from this, um, aside from expecting miracles and knowing that God and watching him provide miracles before our eyes, um, is that he's in the details that he cares about every little detail of our lives. And so I'm, I want to lay out some of the details. And if I get bogged down in the details, sorry, because it's important to me because that's how I watched my God move was in the little tiny things that all added up to be this, this overall always provision from our God. Um, so this whole journey started actually before she came um, Last January, we were, um, I had started to feel in November the Lord tugging on my heart to adopt. And so I talked about it with David, and he's like, yeah, I don't care, you know, <laughs> that's fine. And, uh, and then we started really seriously talking about it in January, and Adoption is no easy task. Um, we have a family in our church that has adopted a little boy, and it took them three years to get it finalized um, with a lot of heartache in the middle of it. Um, and so we started, I, I actually sent out to a company to, to get some paperwork, and we started looking at the paperwork and got a little overwhelmed. Um, they want your whole life story and every detail and all the things that are in your house, your guns, your, you know, every little thing. And it cost a lot of money. It was going to be like $30,000 at a minimum to do what we wanted to do. So it was like, well, I don't know how that's going to happen. And so we started praying about it. And I specifically started really fasting and praying. It was about a three-month time span that I was trying to hear the Lord on whether or not to proceed forward. Um, and just, you know, we could, we could either wait for years until we'd saved up enough money or we could start the process and hope that God <laughs> put checks in the mail or, you know, there was all kinds of ways to go about it. And every time I sat down and fasted and prayed about what we should do next, 
I had no peace. It was like there was, it was like this like anxiety, like, okay, this is, this is not happening right now. And I, I just kept praying through it, tried to just really spend time praying specifically about that thing and what the next step was. And I started to, I started a new um, devotional, and every time I would open a devotional or sit, spend time praying or sit down and read an email, it, it would say, trust me, <laughs> trust me, trust me. I was like, okay, what am I trusting for here? But aside, like, I, I was still waiting to hear, should I do this or should we not? And, and I started to just have this... Um, I don't know how to describe it, but just this anxiety, heaviness feeling of something's going to happen. And I started to have fear. Like, okay, well, everybody else around us, all of our close friends were dealing with major life issues, catastrophes, things that they had no control over, struggles. And it was like, okay, well, are we going to have something? <laughs> I just had this feeling of like, what's going to happen to us, you know? And so... I really um, had to push through that fear and just start trying to rest in the Lord that he was trustworthy and that I got to just keep my eyes on him and no matter what happens, I finally made a decision one day, okay, no matter what happens, whether we try to adopt a child and it gets taken away from us because that happens all the time and I'm sitting here going, I don't know if I could handle that. I really don't think I, I could do it. I've watched other people do it and I don't think I could do it. I don't know if I want to do that to my kids. For those of you who don't know, we have four other girls, um, ages 13 down to seven. And so finally I just had to come to the decision that, okay, no matter what happens, we are going to be okay because of God, because of Jesus. We will be okay. And lo and behold, March, I find out I'm pregnant. I was like, well, that answers that question. No more struggling to figure out if we're supposed to adopt because the, the rule is is that you can't adopt within nine months of having an, another, but you can't be pregnant and adopt. It doesn't, they won't allow you to. So um, that answered that question. <laughs> so we, I get really sick. We went through the whole first half of the pregnancy. Um, and we decided to, we were on our way to a nephew's wedding. So we decided to stay at my mom and dad's house. My parents live in the Petoskey area. Nephew was getting married in Charlevoix. So we went down and we were going to stay at their house for the weekend. And um, we were there kind of a day ahead of time. That ended up just kind of all being the Lord. Um, we have two dogs, one of which is a pit bull. So lots of people are afraid of those or intimidated by them. Um, she's a big baby, but we... Prior to that weekend, I had decided that I was going to take her over to a friend's house and let her get accustomed to their pit bull and have her stay for the weekend, um, and the little dog too. And this, our friend Amy, some of you know her, Amy Eddie, um, she plays drums for us at church, and she's like, they'll be fine, I'll, I'll do it, you know. And she used to work at a vet's office, so she's super comfortable with all kinds of dogs, and she has a pit bull, so I was like, perfect. She's not afraid of this dog. She can keep, cause she's still a puppy, and she's a big dog. So David kept saying, no, I want to take him with us. Let's take him with us. He always wants the dogs with us. They're like his kids. And I said, I really don't want to deal with the dogs. I don't, I don't want to put up with heaven. We're still potty training the little one, and little dogs do not potty train easily, so it was like a headache to take her anywhere, and she gets car sick. <laughs> so I was like, no, thank you. I don't, 
I don't want to take the dogs. So we, we left them with Amy. She loves our dogs. They got used to her. Um, and that ended up being kind of the first provision that when we got into our situation, it was like God already planned this out. Because when, when I went into the hospital and we were looking at being there for six, you know, up to six months, three months most likely, she said, I got this. They're good here until whenever you get back. And so that was my, our first, like, okay, this is going to be okay. You know, God's going to take care of things. And um, the other detail that was a really, really big deal to us, um, especially to me as a mom, was my four girls were at my mom and dad's house. And um, what happened was, so it's August 3rd, we're at their house. I laid the two youngest down for bed that night. It was about 8.30 in the evening. And I kissed him goodnight and stood up and went to walk out of the room and my water broke. And it, at first it was like, this is weird. Did I just pee my pants? Or I don't know what just happened. And so I waited a few hours and it just kept getting worse, kept coming and coming and kept leaking and leaking. And so finally by about midnight, I woke him up and said, we got to go. And I could feel my body escalating as the minutes were ticking by. I could feel that I was getting more agitated and my body was, I, I, I think that I was headed into labor. Um, just felt like everything was getting, you know, and I, I, I definitely all of, I was trying the whole time, I was trying to fight fear and just get myself to where I could relax and be at peace and then this was all going to be okay. And I tried going to sleep and nothing, it just kept getting more and more aggravated. So we went to the ER in Petoskey and um, we got a nurse, provision number two, <laughs> got a nurse or number three. I'm not, I'll lose track of the numbers. I always try to number them. It doesn't matter. It's provision after provision. The next one was that the nurse um, had had 22 years of experience. And we got in there, and the first thing she did when she checked me, she said, I'm sorry, but um, you're probably going to have a baby tonight, and it probably won't make it. And you'll have some decisions to make. And she left the room, and he was sitting on the side of me. And he stood up, and he looked at me, and he pointed at me, and he goes, we are not going to have this baby tonight. That is not going to happen. And he walked around to my bedside, and he laid his hands on me, and he prayed over me. And it was instant peace. The entire room, this nurse went from being frantic. I mean, she was just... Like, you know, hub, 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 everywhere trying to get things in order. And um, it just was like, whoo, like a blanket fell of peace. And she came back in the room and she was totally calm. I just talked to the doctor. This is what we're going to do. They started me on a um, couple medications. Um, one of the things that can cause your water to break early is infection. They never found an infection, um, which would have endangered the baby. They never found out why. I had just had an ultrasound the day before that was really thorough because I had to lay there forever while this lady took all these pictures of the baby. Um, I had just had all my blood work taken. There was nothing that showed that something was wrong. So this just happened. <laughs> um, our seven-year-old one time was sitting next to me in the hospital bed, and she said, Mommy, whose fault is this? It's like, nobody's fault. It just happened, and... Um, 
God has it under control. He's got a plan. So, um, one of the things um, that the nurse came back in and told us was that um, they couldn't do anything at that hospital. They don't have a NICU anymore. They brought in an orange toolbox and set it on the counter, and it said preemie box on the front of it. was it and so then she gives us the statistics um, and the laws in the state of Michigan the statistics are that one in 10 babies is born early from various different stages Um, you know some of them are only two weeks early some are really early so 22 weeks along in the pregnancy there's 40 weeks in pregnancy at 22 weeks a baby rarely survives I was 23 weeks at that time when my water broke I was exactly 23 weeks So at 23 weeks, they have 50% viability with the extreme possibility of many disabilities. So things like um, cerebral palsy is extremely common for babies that are born that early. Um, And then at 24 weeks, the viability goes up to 80%. So viability is that they survive, basically. That doesn't mean that they, they actually make it out of the hospital. They don't have those percentages. Um, and they don't have a percentage of how many babies have abnormalities and disabilities and things like that because there's just so many different cases. Um, there's no two babies that are alike. So then at 25 weeks, the viability goes up to 93%, and at 26 weeks, it's 95%. So every day that passed by that she stayed in the oven was a good thing. <laughs> Um, and very, very important. So their lungs aren't developed at that point where we were at. Um, That's the most major issue that needed to take place. So they gave me the steroid shots, um, and they started me on magnesium, which is supposed to help protect the baby's brain and to calm your any labor contractions or anything like that. So they started me on all this stuff and antibiotics in case there was an infection. Um, Drew my blood, nothing showed. And they said to us, you um, need to make a decision at 23 weeks. The state of Michigan's laws are that you have to choose as the parents whether or not you're going to resuscitate this baby if she, if she comes. At this point, we didn't even know what we were having. Didn't find out till she was born. And um, at 24 weeks, then it no longer becomes your decision as a parent. Then we we have to resuscitate the baby. So you guys need to decide, and we have to document this. We need to write down, what do you choose? We'll talk about a horrible decision to have to make. Um, And one of the things that I struggled with, I don't know how much, how, how David struggled with all of this, but I struggled with feeling like no matter what choice I made, I was being selfish. If I wanted this baby so badly that I'd want her resuscitated, was I going to put her through a life of hardship and struggle and being in a wheelchair? And then if I didn't choose that, would people think that I just didn't want to put up with that? You know, there was was all this struggle, and it was all about what are other people going to think? And so we finally just said, we have to do what we have faith for, and we have to not worry about what anybody else thinks, and we won't tell anybody that we had the choice because... How many of you know that we get the choice? And we do none of this when we went into this. 
I didn't even know that a baby could survive after your water broke. Um, so we decided that we were not going to resuscitate her if she was born before the 24-week mark. We were just going to leave it up to God that if he decided to do it, he could do it, and he could do it all the way, that he didn't need one of the things that they wanted a decision right away because they don't like to keep the mothers on this magnesium because there's a lot of side effects, and it's a kind of a dangerous medication. So they wanted to know, if you're not going to resuscitate her, we're going to take you off the magnesium. There's no reason to protect her brain. And then it was like, well, you know, I just kept wrestling with it, and finally we just said, God's bigger than magnesium. We're going to trust, and we're going to do it all the way. We're going to, if he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And we got to trust. And it was a daily trust every 24 hours that passed. We get to midnight and be like, oh, okay, one more day, you know. And we got to about six hours before that 24-week mark. And it was like, okay, do we change our mind now? Because we're almost to that mark that, you know, it's not our choice anymore. And I made it this far. Maybe we should tell him we want to, <laughs> we do want to. And and it was just like, no, 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 we got to trust. We just got to trust. So we just kept, I, me especially, kept saying to myself, trust him, trust him, trust him. So um, so we're back to being in Petoskey in the ER. Then the next thing that God provided was the doctor that came, came in to see me and treat me had, this is in the middle of the night. She was on call that night. It's not a coincidence. She had just come three months prior from a level four NICU in Chicago where she treats people like me every day, all day long. And so she knew exactly what to do. And she came in and did an ultrasound and she said, you still have a lot of fluid. The baby looks really good. She's active. You're, everything's okay. We just need to get you to Grand Rapids where they can do something for the baby if the baby comes. And so they ambulanced me down. Um, and I got there and um, they, the way that uh, we were at Helen DeVos Children's Hospital in um, Grand Rapids, and it's an amazing place, and the, they do medicine um, with residents. They have a whole residency program where all these doctors are learning to be doctors, and so every time I was seen, which was every single morning at 6 o'clock, um, they would bring in a team of like six people, and so we got to know these different teams, and every six weeks they rotate. So they bring in a team. Uh, the doctor says, the baby looks good. She does another ultrasound. Um, she said, we really need you to make that decision right away. They sent in a neonatologist to help us, you know, here's all the statistics. This is what can happen. They try to give you a real-life picture of what can happen. Um, you need to make a decision. And so we had made our decision. We let them know, and they asked us multiple times, are you sure that's the decision that, you, you know, they have to have it documented, and they don't want any confusion, because can you imagine the how bad it would be if there was confusion on whether or not you wanted your baby resuscitated? Um, so they said she looks really good. She, the baby's doing well. Um, the doctor said, there's one thing that I noticed on the ultrasound, though. And she said, I don't want to alarm you. Um, but I don't see her nasal bone. And she said that can be a sign that there's um, possibly Down syndrome or something like that, that this could be something that we're looking at. And I said, okay. And, and then they left, and um, so we started praying for that little nose. <laughs> and uh, 
the very next ultrasound that I had three days later, that nose was <laughs> sticking out like you wouldn't believe. Like, it was like there was no doubt <laughs> that that nasal bone was not there. It was there. And I, I, I never remember to bring the, <laughs> the picture to show, but it's just like a little unicorn horn sticking up in the middle. Like, oh, yeah, that's a nose. <laughs> she said, see, there was nothing to worry about. It's like, well, thanks for telling me in the first place, you know. But... <laughs> But we prayed for that nose, and uh, fortunately, it doesn't stick out too far. <laughs> um, anyway, so they took me off magnesium, um, and it was now just, um, oh, and when they did that ultrasound, they found her little nose there. Uh, they found that there was no more fluid. All my fluid was gone, and I was like, <gasps> you know, like I didn't know babies could survive without fluid, and um one of the things that happens is when there's no fluid, then the lungs don't get to develop. They stop developing at that point. So her lungs were 23-week-old lungs, um, even though she was born at 26 weeks. So um, it, now it was a matter of waiting. And they were hoping to get me to 34 weeks, but I could go into labor at any time. Um, in fact, it's probably pretty uncommon to get that far, but we were believing that, you know, we're going to get as far as we need to, and the Lord's going to take care of it. Um, so the next couple of weeks were pretty difficult. We were obviously missing. We, we didn't get to be with our family, our girls. Um, I homeschool, so they're with me 24-7, um, and I enjoy that. Um, so one of the hardest things for me to walk through was watching them walk out the door every week. Um, especially my seven-year-old. She was a mama's girl, big time. Um, she had a lot of fears. And so watching her have to pull up her little bootstraps and walk out that door um, was really hard for both of us. But we're so thankful that um, they were able to be with my mom and dad, and they stayed with them the whole time. And God had even prepared for that because Eden, our seven-year-old, was afraid to spend the night with other people. Um, she would never, and she was, you know, seven. Like, it wasn't like I pushed her to do it, but she just wouldn't stay. The other girls would go spend the night at somebody's house, grandpa and grandma, anybody, and she didn't want to go without mom. So it was going to be a big deal that she was going to be away from me for weeks. And... um because we had orthodontist appointments in Petoskey regularly, like every six to eight weeks, she had spent a lot of time spending the night and staying with my mom and dad while I went to these appointments. So the Lord had already gotten her to a place where she was comfortable there. So that brought me a lot of comfort. And the sweet thing was that she was not worried about herself. <laughs> she was worried about her mama. And she'd say, well, are you going to be alone? Is anybody going to be with you? And the Lord, for, for probably, I think, three weeks straight, I never went a day without a visitor. And there were days where I was like, I just want to sleep. But there was never a day where I didn't have to say to, where I'd, I couldn't say to her, yeah, mom's got so-and-so's coming on this day and so-and-so's coming on this. I could say to her, nope, I'm not going to be alone. And I wasn't. I was never alone. And, and even when I was alone, the Lord would send a nurse in. And, you know, sometimes it was a Christian nurse, and we would sit there and we'd get talking, and they'd be an encouragement to me, and I'd be an encouragement to them. And it was just, he was always, 
always working, always providing. Um, and so David went back to week to work on week 25. Um, he had to prep for classes. He teaches at Lake State, and uh, so I. Then I was alone <laughs> at night, at least, and then the fears started to resurface. And um, the Lord kept giving me Joshua one nine. Be have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. And I can't tell you how many times people would text me a scripture or that scripture, and um, there was just constant um, encouragement and a. Uh, one of the things that was really neat at that time for me was a friend um, had two visions about our family. Um, and she saw very clearly the first one was God scooping our whole family under his wing. And the second one was his hands enveloping the baby. And um, we just got constant encouragements like that. And um, I ended up just have, always having this overwhelming feeling of thankfulness that, you know, and we watch, we watch other people that were in much more difficult situations than we were, and we just had so much to be grateful for. Um, we were, while we were in that part where I was just waiting, sitting there for three and a half weeks doing nothing because I couldn't do anything, um, trying to keep her in, um, there was a lot of things that I had to walk through with fear because I was constantly feeling like I was going into labor, <laughs> um, and we, the Lord just used our situation, used David and I. We, we prayed with nurses. We prayed with cleaning lady. Um, the Lord just was constantly using our situation to touch other people. And um, again, that's a result of just who God is and how he's always working in our lives when we allow him to. Um, so December 27th at 3 o'clock in the morning, um, Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I wrote down Sunday, the 27th. It was on a Sunday. <laughs> and I read December. Um, August 27th, my labor started. And this time I knew it was for real. Uh, and they put the baby on the monitor and her heart rate kept dropping and she was showing signs of being stressed. So they immediately took me down to labor and delivery. And this was another little thing that God provided for me. Um, the doctor that met me in the labor and delivery room was one of the ones that I really liked in the first week that we were there, but I, she moved on rotations and I didn't get to see her anymore and I was kind of bummed. Um, but I, we had kind of developed a relationship with her. And so David was home, he wasn't with me. And I got to labor and delivery and she looked at me, she goes, oh, it's you, I got this. And she tells everybody, I don't need an update, I got this, we got it, let's go. And she checked me and she was deciding to stick a foot out, so it was an emergency C-section. Um, so I'm wheeling into the <laughs> um, OR room, trying to get a hold of my husband, and he's not answering his phone. Come to find out, he had accidentally put it on Do Not Disturb. <laughs> so he's sound asleep. If you're ever in that situation, use the Find My iPhone and alarm your person, and it will wake them up. So finally, <laughs> he woke up in... Uh, I had ended up having my mom keep trying to call him and stuff. He checked his text messages. And so I was in there by myself, but the entire time I had God's peace. Um, the, the people that were around me were great. They were just 
I had the, the anesthesiologist was right by my head just saying, you're doing great. Everything's going good, you know, constantly reassuring me. And I never felt afraid. Um, and I look back and think, gosh, that was a little scary of a situation, but I didn't have, the Lord was with me. And um, so she was born one pound, 12 ounces. You want to, did you get the pictures? One pound, 12 ounces, um, very tiny. So this is David's hand. And I show this picture. This is one of the very first pictures that we have. Her ears were not even formed at this point. They were just part of the side of her head. You could see where they were supposed to be. Um, and the most incredible thing, her eyes were also fused shut, just like a puppy. They're not open yet. Um, and her skin was sticky and see-through. And uh, go ahead and go to the next one. One week later, there was full-on ears there that weren't there before. Um, so we got, go ahead and flip through them. <laughs> we got to see what happens inside of the womb, which is is pretty incredible. I, there aren't really words to describe. You're, you're watching a mir the miracle of life form before your very eyes. And there is no doubt when you're looking at these babies that God created the heavens and the earth and, and all that dwell. Go ahead and you can see her ribs. She was very, very tiny. Her head was about the size of a baseball. That was the best description we could come up with. That, um, so at this point, she's on breathing machines that are doing her breathing for her. Go ahead to the next one. There's our whole family next to her bed. Um, that's within the first week. Um, I think I finally got to hold her at day six. So you can see how tiny she was. It felt a little scary to hold a baby that little. <laughs> um, in that first week, is that all of them? I think it is, right? Okay. In that first week, um, when it was, everything's just so up in the air, they kept saying, well, there's a honeymoon period. The baby's doing great, but things can change in a heartbeat. And, you know, there's no way to, for us to know any outcome. They don't tell you anything except just Prepare yourself for anything. It's a roller coaster ride. This it just it's an up and down thing. One day she'll be doing great, the next day she can be doing terrible. This is all the stuff that they tell us. And that first week I had six people, I think it was six different people, send me seven rainbows, pictures of rainbows that they saw. Seven days in a row, I got rainbows. <laughs> um, photos and they're beautiful pictures. I should have put those up there too. Um and at first, it was like, why is everybody sending me pictures of rainbows? But then I realized, okay, the Lord's saying, I got this. <laughs> the promise of God, that's what a rainbow represents. So the other thing that we experienced is people would go into her um, room, and the f all they could do, they were speechless. It was like, <gasps> you know, they'd suck in their breath and just like, <sighs> because she was so tiny, and you, you cannot, pictures make her look huge. You can't describe <laughs> how little um, she was and just how fragile she looked. 
Um, and uh, so anyway, we began developing relationships with the nurses. Um, she just kept doing every day she was better. It was, it, we didn't have a honeymoon period. It was She never hit major bumps that were a huge deal compared to what the other babies were dealing with. Um, one of the big things that they can have go wrong is when they introduce breast milk to the baby, they can have their intestines just shut down completely. Um, I have a sister that had 25-week-old twins, and so our family had already seen what can happen, and they um, were on the brink of death. <laughs> they were given 24 hours to live because their intestines had shut down, and they get what's called perforations, where things just leak out and they get infected, and it just... They were black from the waist down, and the doctor just said they won't be here when I get back from vacation, and they are now six years old with no problems whatsoever. So beautiful little girls. So we'd seen what can go wrong, and we'd seen that God can be bigger than all of that, And um, but we didn't have any of those issues happen. They introduced food to her. She did great with it, and she just kept gaining. She would gain... 80 grams. Everything was measured in grams because she was so tiny. Um, so she just kept gaining and gaining and doing very well. Um, and we started to develop relationships with the nurses. And I just kept praying, Lord, you, because I was there, you know, I'd sit with her on my chest for like six hours a day. So I'm going to spend lots of time with these ladies that are taking care. Now, this place is huge. There's over 350 nurses that are just in the NICU um, that are there 24-7 with these babies. And one of the things that I watched God do was my prayer was, you match me up with who you want me to be with and to develop a relationship and minister to as we're here. And um, one nurse that was with Ella from day one. She took care of her that first night that she was born. Before I could ask her, I, I chose her. I wanted her to be her primary nurse is what we called them. She worked nights. I, I asked her and she said, oh, I've been with Ella since day one. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I want a primary for her. So it was like God was already, and that happened with four different nurses where they asked to be primary care for our family. And um, the one nurse, <laughs> I walked in one day and I thought, oh, like this girl, <laughs> you know, she was very, um, almost obnoxious and she kind of got on my nerves a little bit and I made me nervous and she was a little bit rough with the baby, you know, she'd flip her over and she just was very, not my style of <laughs> caring. And I was like, Oh, not this one. And then she was there the next day and I thought, Oh gosh, Lord, I don't want this one. <laughs> and she ended up um, she asked to primary for us, although she tells everybody that I asked her. Um, she ended up being one of my friends, and I probably will remain friends with her for a very long time. Um, and she's not saved by any means. She kept trying to sing Rihanna <laughs> to the baby, and I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> no thanks, <laughs> but thanks. <laughs> um but she, we just ended up developing a relationship, and I know that we will continue to have one, and I know that God worked in her life, and um, I won't keep going on and on because it will get long, but um, that was another way that I just, I saw God work, and we were, we were there for, she was in the NICU for 98 days, so it was a long time of developing relationships that 
will keep in touch with these people that cared for her. Um, one of the things that I forgot to mention before, three days before I went into labor, um, and I was, I could tell that that I was possibly going into labor, and they were like, well, this is your new normal. You're going to have to get used to having, you know, contractions here and there, and just you're going to have to get used to it. It was really uncomfortable because there's no more fluid for their baby to be bouncing around, and it was no cushion, so um, very uncomfortable, and I just, I was always nervous, <laughs> like, um, and I've never dealt with that before. I've never been a person that dealt with fear, and sometimes I'd look at other people and be like, well, good grief, just, you know, buck up and deal with it. You'll be all right, you know, but this time I really dealt with fear, and I know that the Lord used that in me to have compassion for other people that deal with anxiety and fear, because we see a lot of that these days, um, and so three days before she was born, I started reading on their website. I thought, well, I might as well find out where I am, you know, <laughs> and come to find out DeVos is one of the biggest NICUs in the world. Um, they are one of the only NICUs that has what they call a small baby unit in the world, and other hospitals are beginning to copy them. So she was in, for a majority of the time, in what they call the small baby unit. It's for babies that are under 27 weeks, and extreme prematurity is her diagnosis. Um, so they do about 1,400 babies total in a year, and about 50 to 60 of the tiny babies, they're called micropremies, um, a year. And so they're highly, highly specialized at taking care of these and and she she was actually part of like they were doing a two year study to see what the outcomes were with this small baby unit compared to just them being in the NICU with all the older babies and um, so what it is is they they keep the room dark they try to simulate the womb as much as possible so they have all these new ways of um, just trying to not overexpose the baby to the the outside world before they're ready to start taking things, so they would gradually expose her to light and things like that. So um, it became very clear very early on that we were where we were supposed to be and that she was in the best possible place that we could be in. Um, we met all kinds of people in this place. There, there was a family that stayed where we stayed um, that came all the way from Ireland every three weeks to come to this hospital to receive treatment for a genetic disorder. So there's, I mean, and you look, when you go in there, it's an incredible place, and you look at the board of all the different floors they have, and there's, like, doctors that I never, you've never even heard of the different kinds of specialties that they have. They're just, they're, it's an, a very um, incredible place to be, so we were extremely thankful, and I know that that's where we were supposed to be, and without a shadow of a doubt that God put us there, and that we were where we were supposed to be, so that provided great comfort for us to um, to know that they knew what they were doing. Um, and another thing that I just want to touch on before I close is the, the way that God continues to use the situation to affect the people that we meet, the people around us. Um, it's just kind of mind-boggling sometimes. Uh, she's kind of like a magnet everywhere we go, and we're not supposed to let anybody touch her because she's... Um, has an underdeveloped immune system. She was on a oxygen support till about a week before we left the hospital. So um, 
her lungs took a very long time to develop, and they call it chronic lung disease, um, which just means that she's super, um, she's underdeveloped and she can get sick easily. And they told us that if she did get sick, that it's, we could possibly be looking at another three months on a ventilator back in the hospital. So we're very protective of her. I don't go anywhere except doctor's appointments right now. Um, but she has stayed healthy uh, thus far. And every time, I, every time I say so far, the Lord, it's like he corrects my mind. Don't say so far. Just the Lord protects her and he will continue to do so. Um, because there's all... I get a daily opportunity to say, well, so far she's doing blah, blah, blah. And every time it's like the Holy Spirit says, stop it. <laughs> Don't say that. Um, so I'm trying to correct my language, um, which is easy when you're texting because you can just erase, <laughs> but you can't when it comes out of your mouth. Um, but she's kind of like a magnet. And one of the things, this is a really neat story to me. Um, we have been living where we are at for almost 10 years. And we have a set of neighbors across the street from us, and they don't say boo to us. David has tried to develop a relationship with a guy. You know, they'll both be out snow blowing or shoveling or something or mowing the lawn, and he'll try to start up a conversation. The guy, you know, barely says hi and then turns his back and walks away. And they're just very closed to us. And um, it's been that way for nine years. And uh, he was headed to work one day after she was born, and his. Um, his mother-in-law actually lives right next door to us, and we do know her quite well, and we've um, had quite a good relationship with her, and she's a Christian, and um, we have spent time praying with her, and she just she's always reaching out to us. We're always taking care of her. She's a widow. Her husband died about, what, a month after we moved into our house. Um, anyway, but they don't have a good relationship, really, <laughs> so... He, they, these people just kept to themselves, and he's leaving for work one day after she was born, and this guy comes running across the street, wait, wait, and he said, um, he said, we've been praying for you guys, and it was like, what? Um, he wanted to know how she was doing, and it just, it's completely opened up the line of communication. He texts David, asks how she's doing. He wanted pictures of her. Um, it just was you know, here you try to develop a relationship with somebody for that for nine years and then one instance and they are completely open and talking to us and just, it's the Lord. He uses it. And um, same thing has happened at David's work. What? Yeah, I'm getting there. <laughs> same thing's happened at work. It's opened up a couple relationships that um, we know the Lord is developing for us. Um and uh, another thing that happened is I have a friend that I had in high school, and she was mean to me <laughs> um, and a lot of other girls. Seventh grade girls can be nasty. Um, <laughs> she was very mean to me, and I would go home crying sometimes, and mom and dad would just say, you need to just keep loving her. She's hurting. She had gone through a very rough upbringing um, and was adopted by her grandparents, and so she was hurting, and she would be mean to push people to see if they'd love her anyways, was the way that I kind of interpreted what was happening, and um, lo and behold, she lives about 25 minutes from the hospital down there, so guess who came to visit me every week <laughs> was this <laughs> friend <laughs> that I used to have, and um, she, had, she has been through a lot. She'd lost five babies um, after getting married, and finally was able to have um, twins, 
but in the process of all that, the Lord, she had hardened her heart to the Lord. Um, she grew up as a pastor's kid, and she she's she had really hardened herself. And she would come, and that first week, she stood by her isolate, and she stood there and just cried and cried and cried. And it was like, well, we just stood there crying together because <laughs> um, there was she just was speechless, and she didn't. I I told her she could touch her, um, and she didn't want to touch her, and. So we went and had dinner together, and she decided she was going to come back every week and visit me. So she did, and she would come back, and every week she'd be changed. And she started to just say, this little girl is a miracle. And she just she was getting more and more excited because she thought the first day that she looked at her that she was going to die, that there was no way that that baby was going to make it, and God's going to take a baby from one of my friends. And she was mad. But over the course of watching how she would develop because she'd be gone for a week or two weeks and then she'd come back and see that she'd gained a whole pound or something and look totally different. She'd just be shocked at what God was doing. And towards the end, she sent me a text message and she said, I had pretty much turned my back on God and you have no idea what this little girl has done to my heart. And um, that is a relationship that I will probably have for a very long time too. Um, because God just did so much, um, in, and he keeps doing things as time goes on. He keeps doing things. Every time I send somebody a picture, they're like, oh, praise the Lord, she looks so good. And anyway, last story, there was, we went to a craft show a couple weeks ago. I had to take my eldest daughter to um, do something, and I was planning on just staying for an hour and leaving, and um, I had the baby in the car seat, and she's over here, and I'm trying to keep people away from her, you know, so I was kind of parked over in the corner a little bit, and it was a crowded place, and this lady that was selling stuff kind of kept watching me, and she got all excited when I pulled her out of the car seat. Oh, she's, look at her. Oh, she's so sweet. She's going on and on, and she finally started walking towards me, and I had to set her down for some reason. I think I was getting her bottle ready. And the lady comes over like this, and she gets close by her, and she bends down. And I had turned my back for a second, and she goes like this, and she's like, whoa, that baby needs her space. And it was like, okay, I was just getting ready to show her a picture of how little she used to be, because I try to take the opportunity to give a testimony of what God has done. And I'm just getting ready, and she's all the way over there already. And I was like, okay, that was weird. Well, my friend that was there with me, she came back later to her, and she told her, I'm an astrologist, and the universe has plans for that baby. <laughs> and my friend said, Jesus has plans for that baby. And she says, well, the universe, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, Jesus has plans for that baby. But the fascinating thing to me was that she could immediately, she got next to her car seat and was like, whoop, I'm out of here. <laughs> because she, she could feel the presence of the Lord is what I think happened. Um, so... Because I didn't say anything. <laughs> she just walked over and walked away like, whoop, I'm too close. So, um, and she didn't hear any of my story. I was going to tell her my story. <laughs> so I was all bummed, but she was, I, she figured something out because she figured the universe has plans. So, <laughs> but Jesus had plans and he still does. And um, yeah, the God of the universe. <laughs> yep, that's right. So, to, did I leave anything out? No. 
Oh, yes. One of the major provisions, again, um, they, were, they kept pushing us to stay at the Ronald McDonald house when she was born. We had about three days where I was in the hospital still, and they wanted us to go to the Ronald McDonald house, but it was eight miles away, and you had to travel by bus. And David was like, I don't want her driving eight miles to get to the baby. I know she's going to be there all the time. And he, and he kept telling, we, we had a social worker, and he kept saying, I don't want her at Ronald McDonald. I want her here because they had a, a hospitality house that was attached to the hospital so that I could just come and go. He's super into making sure all his girls are safe. And being that it was Grand Rapids, he wasn't thrilled with me. <laughs> well, he got a little belligerent with this <laughs> social worker here she's the sweet lady and he's like I don't want her there I want her here she's like okay well I'll see what we can do you know <laughs> three hours later they're like well we just had a room open up and you can have it for the next 90 days <laughs> so the Lord provided for that and one of the things that is um, quite incredible is when your baby is born that early they automatically qualify for Medicaid for the first year of life it is $6,000 a day just to sleep in the bed at this NICU. They don't, that's not including the doctors, the, all the equipment, all of that. It, that's just to sleep in the bed. So um, I think the bill that we got or the insurance statement was what, eight, 889000 that the insurance has paid out already. That's just a section of it. So, um, the Lord provided for all of that, and he's continuing to do that. And um, his office co-workers put up like $1,300 to cover the first 30 days of the place that we were staying. So I was able to stay on site, walk back and forth, use the cafeteria. Um, it couldn't have been any better than that. It was cramped, but we made it work and enjoyed our time there. So, um, yeah. Thank you for praying and for your provision. Praise God. Well, listen, um, I want you to know that it was your prayers and it was your finances and it was the body of Christ in action that helped this family. And, but I'm going to tell you this, they're not the only testimony. I mean, you guys are doing stuff you don't even know you're doing. Um, there's some powerful stuff that because you're being the body, and, and I just want to, I'm just so honored and so thankful for that. Um, what I would like to do before we leave, I want to take an offering for the leeches. Um, and, you know, just give what you can. Um, listen, David is not the type that, that's calling me on the phone saying, man, I got this need, I got this. You never hear from him. But, you know, I'm not dumb either. I'm, I mean, I'm not the sharpest tack, in the, but, but I know that there's needs, and he was driving down every week. He was working, and then he was driving down on the weekends, 300 bucks a pop. Never once said, hey, I've got this need, you know, but, but people kept giving, and we would take offerings, and, and people would be led of the Lord. So I want to take this opportunity again to sow uh, into the body of Christ. So, um, yeah. Archie's got a thing. Uh, and here's what I want you to do. If you're going to make out a check or give cash, make it out to David Leach. Make it right out to them. Okay? And anything that goes in that thing is going straight to them as soon as we've got it collected. All right? Um, and, again, it's just another opportunity and another way to give. Um, if you can't, great. But, but praise God if you can. So, And then I'm just going to um, let's go ahead and do that, and then I'll dismiss you. 
Archie, go ahead and, yep, we'll get them on the way out. Is that what you want to do? All right, well, let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity. We thank you for what you are doing in people's lives. Lord, a powerful testimony. So many in the world said, no, baby shouldn't live. But God, but God said. And Lord, we thank you for people that just trust you. I thank you, Lord, for people that are obedient to you. I thank you, Lord, for those that could give and those that gave time and those that that went down and, and did all the things that they could do. Lord, we each did what you've asked us to do. And Lord, we see the, the, the manifestation of a miracle right here with little Ella. So we just thank you for it. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Thanks for hanging in there with us. And we will see you next week. We're going to be talking about vision, vision, vision. So go be the body. <laughs>